Welcome to the Adventure Deficit Podcast. We're here to promote lifelong learning through the context of adventure. Through our one-on-one interviews, we capture in-depth stories across a variety of subjects, emphasizing a new life lesson in every episode. We're on a mission to entertain, educate, and inspire you to embrace new challenges, reflect, push through fears, and get out there in search of your own adventures. We passionately pursue good story, and we'll run, climb, wade, ride, hunt, ski, or paddle our way into new ones, all in search of continual growth. We call it taking our medicine, and we invite you to join us for today's dose. Today we have Alan Crater, president of the Stevens Advertising Agency here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, Alan's a sitting board member of the Michigan chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. If you're not privy to them, uh, you can hop online and see what they're doing. Uh, but he's an avid angler, avid hunter, avid outdoorsman all all together. And uh, he's got a couple of epic adventure stories by which uh, he gleaned a few life lessons that he's going to share with us today. Alan, how you doing today, man? Great, Drew. I am uh, glad to be here. I'm glad that you're taking a risk on uh, the two stories. So we'll see how that goes. Down for a gamble. Um, well, let's get started off uh, just kind of breaking down the young uh, Alan Crater story. I know that just from some of our prior conversations and prepping for this, we had uh, we had covered some common ground in that we're both uh, avid fly anglers and passionate outdoorsmen on all fronts. Um, and I can't wait to kind of get into some of that. But uh, start off by just telling us uh, maybe maybe a quick blip on uh, where you were born and, and some of the elements on how you were raised. Yeah, um, born and raised right in uh, Grand Rapids here, so didn't didn't wander too far, but always really had the privilege of a family that enjoyed the outdoors ever since I was a kid. So we camped together, we fished together. Um, I actually have a, I have a memory of uh, being able at one point to fish with my father, my grandfather, and my great-grandfather. So that was that was a pretty cool moment to have four generations all fishing together. Oh um, man, that's awesome! So that was that was you know pretty young, and it was um, didn't happen very often. When yeah. we were we were all together like that, but um, just always had that opportunity to uh, you know be outdoors, primarily with my dad. Um, you know, we started hunting when I was twelve, uh, fishing when I could probably hold a fishing pole. We camped at Ludington State Park. Um, something that was shared with me that I didn't really want to know but now that I know I share it with everybody else I was actually um I came about at Ludington State Park if uh, I don't know there's not really a subtle way to talk about that <laughs> but um so I have a special place in my heart for Ludington State Park all the trails there we used to always go there in the fall with my family camp there in the summer and so mom mom and pop made Alan Crater at <laughs> Ludington yeah that I guess that's how you say it so that's it cool. was uh when that was dropped on me, uh, while we were walking past the actual campsite, it was a little, you know, a little disturbing. But yeah, that's that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, well, no doubt it would have a special place in my heart too. <laughs> so both uh, both dad and grandpa were around when you brought your own son into the world, and you said you had four generations at one time fishing. Where well, did I get that? No, my grandfather had passed away when my son was born, but I had the opportunity to fish with my dad, my grandfather, and my great grandfather. Oh, so, wow. so it was I was the youngest of the of the crew on that one. I see. Okay, awesome. So this is when you were just a wee little lad. Yeah, just a wee lad. Yep. And where uh, where did you guys primarily uh, wet a line? Um, you know, a lot of the stuff with my dad and grandfather were um, 
right around Ludington State Park. So Hamlin Lake, a lot of lake fishing, you know, okay. bass fishing, pike fishing. Um, that, that particular opportunity that I was talking about where it was all four generations, we were fishing the Coldwater River, right? Uh, not, not terribly far from town here. Cool. So we were going after trout, um, yep. you know, but we were using worms and bobbers kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, kind of south of, uh, kind of south of Alto. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I've been in there. Um, oh man, that's so cool. And that's just such an awesome common, um, common glue for a family to bond over fishing. It's a great, uh, fabric, right? Yeah. You don't, you know, I think you sometimes, um, appreciate it more in hindsight mm. as, as with a lot of things, but, um, you know, those moments are, those moments are special and you, you sometimes don't realize how special they are until you look back at it and you realize, man, that was, yep. that was time that. I'll never replace. Okay, so early on, you you had some exposure to uh, to fishing for sure. Did you have uh, Did you have anybody take you up under their wing as far as hunting? <laughs> well, my dad my dad took me. My dad was kind of you know the person that I hunted with, and uh, we started bow hunting when I was twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, neither of us were very good, and we really didn't know what we were doing. So this is for white-tailed deer. Tree stands weren't really a thing yet. We hunted on the ground. We we just did everything you could do wrong we did for a long time until we started to kind of figure it out but we had a blast you know it was just being outside with your dad right so yeah that, that was what that's what i really remember and then we started having more success in the the actual sport you know a little bit later on but the whole thing was a success you know really just because you get that time and you're outside yeah yeah absolutely and you guys you- you definitely didn't uh, make things easy by starting off on the ground that's for sure did you yeah. have any close encounters yeah, I mean, that you don't know what to do with. Right. <laughs> like, oh, no, no, there's actually a deer. This actually worked. Now what do I do? But, yeah. you know, so, yeah, at that point, like, you were in a ground blind, hoping that a deer would be dumb enough to walk, you know, 20 yeah. yards away. So that changed maybe three or four years into our hunting experience. That is incredible. So it can't imagine. I mean, think about how many blown opportunities I've had from, from an ambush point 15 feet up. Right. Well, they've gotten smarter too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. You're probably right. Yeah, they're I mean, become a little bit more. Oh, no, well, they're alert. looking up. They're looking up a lot more than mm. they used to. But yeah, it was it was just you know it was just different, and we didn't have a lot of money. And equipment is super. You know, tree stands were super expensive when they first came out. So we you know we were making our own. We were trying to figure it out. But you know, we learned and uh, had that time together. And I, I don't know. It's just again, it's just one of those things that I don't even remember so much the the success of a hunt as I remember just being outside with my dad or you know we would sometimes when I was really young when I was just starting we, we would sit in the ground blind together and I could sit maybe you know an hour hour and a half and I felt like I had sat all day and right I, I couldn't sit still anymore so right yeah we, you know we'd go for a walk or whatever we do and pretend like we were hunting he'd tell me I was hunting but we were just taking a walk in the woods really sounds like your dad was uh was pretty heads up as to how to kind of court a, a young boy into the into that arena yeah um okay cool so we got a little bit of background on on your hunting and fishing side tell us about just um maybe some of your schooling and uh, maybe some of your peer groups at that point what were some of those elements like yeah i mean i uh i went through um grand rapids baptist school systems ever since kindergarten so that was crestview elementary here and then uh it was at the time called grand rapids baptist high school now it's north point christian so okay came up all the way through that system all 13 years um little little bump in, in that journey at the very end but uh did end up finishing out school there 
Um, you know, and I had, I had a, most of my friends were people that I played sports with. So played either, you know, soccer or basketball with, and we didn't have a huge class. I think, uh, we had maybe 60 kids in my class. So we, you know, you're kind of friends with everybody, but you have your friends that are a little bit closer. And some of those, some of those buddies hunted with us. Um, like we would, we had one buddy whose dad didn't hunt. So he would come along with my dad and I sometimes, and we had another buddy whose dad did hunt and had a little cabin up in Baldwin, so we'd sometimes go there too. But mostly we were just about sports and school, and th- that was kind of our that was our life and our yeah. peer group. Yeah, I mean, as as is common with most you know most folks who uh, who grew up in that time, sports was always kind of a big yep. big piece of helping kids grow, and I think it still is. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, did you gravitate more toward one sport, or or did you try and play them all? I heard you meant you played <laughs> soccer. You know, I, I played them all and wasn't really that great at any of them. It was really kind of um, about just being with your buddies and being on a team. Mm-hmm. So you're going to notice a theme like, oh, well, yeah, I like to hunt, but it wasn't really about the hunting. You know, it was really about being with, to me, it's a lot more about the moments and the and the friendships and the relationships than actually, you know, how many points did you put on the board or how many deer did you kill or how many fish did you catch? I guess there's, there's some of that that goes on and maybe that's just an excuse for the guy that doesn't get the deer or doesn't score the points, but... For me, it was always more about just having those moments and those experiences with friends and family. I resonate with that. Um, you had mentioned a blip. Uh, do you want to get into that or do you want to <laughs> skip over that? We can get into it a little bit. I mean, my senior year, um, got into a little trouble at school, um, ended up getting kicked out of the school and um, and then uh, having kind of an opportunity to do some things to be able to get back into school. Um, and, but I wasn't able to play any sports my senior year because of that. So it kind of happened early on in my senior year and, um, you know, basically went and, um, had some people on the board that I talked to and worked with and they were able to kind of bring me back. So I was able to graduate, but it looked like I might not be graduating from the school that I had been at for 12 years. And, you know, it was self-inflicted wounds for sure. But, um, you know, that it ended up, it ended up working out all right. There was a silver lining. Yep. Um, did you find yourself uh kind of retreating to the the solace of the outdoors at all during that time or no you know i really didn't um it's teenage years so you do you know you kind of do dumb stuff but i think Mm -hmm. um i I didn't really retreat to the outdoors but i think the one thing that never changed was that that outdoor time so Mm -hmm. my relationship with my parents wasn't the strongest during those years but we still would go hunt you know in the fall and we'd hang out and we'd have fun and we it that was always like that was our place where we were still good, you know, and, um, you know, maybe some of the other things weren't as good, but when we were, we were in that setting, we were hunting or fishing, we were good. And so we always kind of had that. So I don't think I really fell into it. I just never fell out of it. But, you know, sometimes during that period, you don't, you don't, you, you kind of get away from some of the stuff that's, that's at your core, at your roots, and you maybe get away from your family a little bit. And I think that was the piece that kind of held us, held us tight. Yeah. All right, so you you did end up graduating. What uh, what transpired after that, Alan? Did uh, were college plans part of the the mix or? Yeah, so um, wanted to go to wanted to go to college. Um, interestingly, the uh, so my my wife um, and I went to the same high school. When I was uh, out of school for a, a little period of time there, my senior year, she was actually the person assigned to bring me my schoolwork at home while I was. Uh, on my three-week uh, vacation there, and uh, so she was kind of the, 
you know, uh, she was a very good student, very, you know, class president, that type, that type of student. I was maybe in a little bit different camp. And uh, so she was the one that was bringing me my homework and somehow, you know, that relationship kind of developed. So we started dating and, and got pretty serious. We ended up actually getting married when we were 20 um, while we were in school. But I started out as a psychology major because I just wanted to know what made people tick. And uh, then realized, you know, maybe that's not the best. I don't know that I'm going to be a good uh, clinician, so how how else can I apply this curiosity that I have about people? And so then I kind of went more of a business and marketing and advertising route and graduated from Grand Valley with a, a degree in advertising and public relations. Nice, nice. Yep. Um, and I don't want to miss anything jumping straight into that, but um, at this point, you're the president of Stevens. Yep. How did, uh, was that a long road or... Talk to me a little bit about how that uh, how that progression took place. Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like I did certainly the the first twenty five years of my life. I think I did in um, warp speed. So, you know, married at twenty, um, I I was working for a different advertising agency when I um, when I was still in when I was still in college. So I was actually working at at, at an ad uh, at an ad agency while I was in college, uh, finishing up my degree. I worked there for about two and a half years, and then I came over. I actually, this is going to, again, make me sound super old, but I answered an ad in the newspaper to uh, that for Stevens Advertising. They were looking for an account executive and a media planner. And uh, so I called a few of my friends in the industry and said, hey, what do you know about these guys? And um, went and met with them and really, really hit it off with what their core values were and what they stood for as a company, who their clients were, and uh, ended up making the move over there. And um, that was at... I was 24, um, and then six months later, I had the opportunity to um, buy into the business. So it all kind of happened pretty quick, and then right after that, we had our first kid. So it was kind of, you know, uh, graduate, get married, graduate, buy a house, buy a, buy into a business, have kids, and it was just, you know, super, super bang, 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 fast, you know, crazy times. You know, we had our first kid when we were 25. Wow. So, yeah. That's, yeah, that is warp speed. Um, okay, so talk to us a little bit about Stevens, and then uh, let's transition from there into uh, into part two. Um, Stevens is a full service ad ad agency, right? Yep. And you've got clients ranging in size from nearly every industry. Yeah. Yep. So Stevens is, um, I think, one of the things that's really cool is uh, last year was our hundred year anniversary. So I uh, can't take credit for for that. Certainly, uh, I've been there since '98. So I'm, a, I'm on my 20-year anniversary, but the agency's been around for 100 years. Uh, full-service agency, it's always been a full-service agency, and we've intentionally stayed a full-service agency, trying to help people, help our clients really um, communicate with their customers from all different touch points. So we really feel like that's important, and that's why we've kept the structure the way it is. But yeah, we have clients from, you know, we I'll be doing work today for a $400 million company. Um and I'll do work for a single location retailer, probably all on the same day. So we have a huge spectrum of clients, um, some of them all over the world, some of them, um, you know, hyper-local. So. That's so cool. What, um, I mean, as far as specialty, um, I don't want to get to a point where, where we feel like we're, we're uh, isolating any one area because it sounds like you've got quite a bit of breadth and scope in-house, but... Uh, what what would you say was the foundation of Stevens? What was kind of the the bread and butter that helped propel you to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I think um, 
I think a couple things. There's probably it's probably true within a lot of industries, but um, within the advertising industry, there's a little bit of a reputation of um, uh, the folks that don't necessarily have integrity. Mm. And so I think I think just the agency as a whole, um, and I'm not just speaking about while I've been there, but just as a whole, I think the agency has always built itself on putting truth truthfully putting the needs of the client first and putting their own uh, ambitions or needs behind that and um, that that's something that was really important to the partner that I uh, that brought me on um, and that I eventually bought out and he you know he really instilled that and that was one of the things that attracted me to the agency was just this level of integrity that you have to maintain mm. um, so you know I guess that's kind of just in my mind, that's just business 101. Like if you, if you do the right thing, the right thing will happen to you. Maybe mm-hmm. not immediately, but over time. Um, and I think the other thing is just taking a strategic approach for clients is, um, which is maybe a little bit different, really helping them utilize their resources most effectively to accomplish what they want to. So we're not going to try to push, you know, an agenda on them because we might have a, we might make more money or we might be better at something. We're going to really try to help them manage those resources the best but you know we do everything from websites to brand identity uh, advertising campaigns obviously media planning and buying Uh, we develop apps we develop collateral we do you know we really run the whole the whole gamut that's fantastic it's it's cool for me to hear somebody who's um leading such an organization talk about um going beyond kind of what i was getting at earlier which is services rendered uh, and go deeper than that toward integrity, core values, right? Because my question was more or less like, hey, what what piece of service got you there? And you kind of said, no, that's that's not so much it. It's deeper than that. Yeah, and and I, it's, it's I probably, I, I didn't mean to dodge the, the question, but it really is. I mean, I think it really is deeper than that. And, you know, we have some clients, uh, Crystal Mountain Resort, for example, is a client that's mm-hmm. been with Stevens for, uh, well, I don't know, I think 31 years. So 11 years longer than I've even been with Stevens. And the reason for that is they trust us. You know, they know that we have their best interest in mind and we're going to do the right thing. And at the end of the day, that is a huge component for why people work with other businesses or, or, or why you enjoy, you know, other people's company. Totally. I'm pointing at you. No one can see that, but I'm pointing at you. Well, thanks, Alan. That helps us get a good grip of, of kind of who you are. And uh, we really appreciate those details. Um, let's break into, uh, into the take our medicine piece of this whole thing. And, uh, Alan's going to offer up two doses. So (laughs) two doses of medicine. Yes, sir. Um, Alan, tell us, uh, tell us what adventure stories you're going to share first, just so we can, uh, we can prepare for both. And then let's break into the first one. Sure. So, um, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, my background and kind of my, my enjoyment of the outdoors. Um, and a lot of that was camping. And when I was a kid, that was car camping. Um, but I've always, I always had this burning desire to go backpacking, to, to get further than where most people will go and see things that, you know, not that you can't see by just walking the, you know, 250 yards away from the parking lot. So, um, the first story that we're going to kind of talk through is, you know, one of my first forays into, um, what I would call true backpacking, and uh, and it, it comes at a point when I really didn't know anything about anything, and uh, two of my buddies and I hopped in a truck and drove to Colorado and did the the Continental Divide, um, and we learned a we learned a lot of things the hard way um, on that trip. So we'll kind of talk through some of that, 
And then um, fast forward from that, maybe 10 years later, um, now, you know, some, some more experience and some more knowledge under my belt. Um, and uh, got to the point where I felt like I could do a solo backpacking trip and I uh, did one uh, in the Jefferson Mountain Range um, in Oregon. And uh, that also had some, some uh, adventures, I guess, tied to it and some, some learnings. Um, so even, even though you have 10 more years of experience and you have that much more knowledge, uh, things still can kind of go sideways on you. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I can't wait to hear both. Let's break it down. Tell us about uh, the Continental Divide trip. It sounds like a riot. It was really great on paper. Um, so we were gonna we were gonna hop uh, hop in my buddy's Ford Ranger, and uh, just to put it in context, it's you know it's uh, the Ford Ranger with the one bench seat across the front and a cap on the back. So there's three guys in there, and you can fit kind of you can maybe fit three in the front if you wanted to. It's really tight because it was a stick shift, and the guy that was driving is about five eight, and the other two of us are about six one, six two. So you're, you know, you're eating, you're eating your knees. Um, but we, so you, you know, we drove twenty four hours straight, got out there, grabbed a, grabbed a breakfast, um, and then like immediately just hit the trail. And we, you know, when I say we went in unprepared, we had, okay, so you have, again, I'm going to sound old, but this is before the internet, so we had uh, called the ranger station out there and they sent us a topo map and you know we looked at it and we're like okay this is you know where we want to go we got our we're going to get a cross-country permit which means we can kind of camp anywhere and we thought you know oh i look you know you're looking at the map oh, it's not that far it looks pretty easy we didn't really know what all these little lines that were super close together meant and so we're trying to you know oh yeah we can get from there to there and we'll do this little loop it'll be no problem so that you know that's what we did we had it you know we had steak and eggs for breakfast loaded up on coffee and uh you know just headed up the trail and um it was for the most part it started out fine and we thought man this is a piece of cake you know we're whatever 20 years old we're in good shape got our packs on our back got you know blue jeans and t-shirts on and the weather's nice and you know nothing can go wrong pretty quickly we started gaining elevation and we got to an area where uh, according to the plan the route that we had kind of planned out we really need to get to the bottom of this basin or bottom of this bowl and then kind of hang uh, hang our way south. So we we're going to come off the divide, go down and down and around. And um, it, there's a route to do that. Um, and we were planning on taking that route, but the trip was in relatively early June. So there's still a significant amount of snow on the ground. Okay. Um, so one of my buddies uh, decided that he didn't want to take the stairs... <laughs> quote unquote stairs the long way around he wanted to take the elevator uh to get to the bottom and and you're talking probably you know i don't i don't know i don't want to exaggerate it it was probably about a 1500 foot maybe 2000 foot drop to the bottom of the bowl that we had to get to and we were just going to walk around and, and get there and uh he thought that the faster way and he was he was right um was to just hop on his pack and uh head over the head over the edge and you know keep in mind we can't see the bottom we I mean, you can see where it tails out but you can't really see the bottom bottom of what what's at the bottom of this and so he just jumped on his pack and <laughs> rode it like a sled over the edge and we were freaking out like so it's just myself and my other buddy at the top of the hill going where is steve we don't know where steve is. he's gone we can't see him <laughs> we can't hear him he just disappeared over the side on his backpack and we're, we're kind of 
kind of freaked out at this point, right? So he's gone. We're hollering for Steve. We're calling. And we don't hear him. We don't see him. And so, we're, you know, we're thinking maybe he's in some kind of trouble. So we kind of have two options at this point. We can we can go all the way around and, and try to get to him, and, and hopefully he's okay. But maybe we don't get there in time to help him if he's if he's really hurt. Or we can, you know, do this, the same thing he did and get there really quickly, which seemed like a horrible idea, but we were... We're kind of like, man, Steve could be really in, in a lot of trouble. So we kind of looked at each other and we're like, oh man, I, don't, I really don't want to do this, but let, let's do it. So we hopped on our packs and uh, rode over the side too. And I ended up kind of falling off my pack and was hanging on to it and was sliding backwards down the hill on my back. And uh, I was kind of in front and my, my other buddy was still riding forward. and I, So I could see his face, but I couldn't see what I was heading into. I'm dragging my boots. I'm trying to just lose some speed because we were flying. I was trying to slow that down. And uh, so there's snow flying everywhere, but between the snow flying, I could see my buddy's face and what I could see on his face was not encouraging. He was, he was terrified. And so I didn't know what I was heading into, but based on his face, it didn't look like it was going to turn out good. It ended up actually in a boulder field and there's, you know, there's a bunch of loose rock and stuff at the bottom. We kind of lost our momentum right about at the last second that we could have without really getting hurt but our you know our packs and our clothes were all pretty Thrashed. banged up and tore up and and whatever but we got there and you know we looked back at it and we kind of laughed but at the time it was it was really scary and then you know then we of course thought we were really amazing and tough and you know crazy adventures but you know that that's kind of you know that was not too long into the first day of the trip and we're already doing stuff that you think back on it you could have got yourself in some serious trouble if, oh yeah you know if you don't when you're 20 it seemed fun and yeah well, it was no big deal but if you think back at it now you're like yeah you could have you could have really caused yourself some danger you break a leg out there you wreck your gear you're you're a long ways from where you can get taken care of yeah you said this was uh this was prior to the internet so i'm guessing no cell phones phone. no no yeah. definitely not yep so we got a little paper map and yeah that's what we had so that was, you know, that was kind of the first thing right out of the gate is we attempted that. Um, and the trip was great. I mean, it, it was kind of our first opportunity to backpack out west for all three of us. We had all, all of us had kind of been out there before, but not really backpacking. So we're in what we can imagine um, is the most glorious place ever. You're in Rocky Mountain National Park. You're in the heart of the Rocky Mountains. You got snow-capped peaks everywhere. Um, you know, lakes filled with trout, uh, little streams. So we, you know... We continued kind of to get to where we wanted to. We we uh, ended up kind of below tree line, and then we had to come back up above tree line and set up camp. But the, the other thing that we didn't really know going in was um, that it rains or snows at you know for a couple hours every afternoon in the mountains. We didn't know that. Nobody told us that. We didn't read that. We didn't. We weren't prepared for that. Um, so we got we got pretty significantly soaked a few times, and then. Um, one of my friends ended up getting altitude sickness, so he spent a lot of time in the tent, and when it was raining, we ended up actually in the tent, and um, I guess one of the other things that we figured out is what they sell as a three-man backpacking tent really isn't a three-man backpacking tent, right? You're smiling. It's probably a two-adult backpacking tent or three really friendly people tent, and so when you got three full-grown guys in a tent all wet dirty stinky and one of them sick um that's pretty close quarters you know you're not you're not really loving life a ton at that point 
So yeah, you're getting puked on. Yeah, you're getting puked on. You stink. You're wet. Your stuff can't get dry. And we thought, man, okay, this isn't this isn't quite the utopia that we thought it was. But then then the weather would shift, and then it then it would clear up. You know, usually it would rain from like two to four or whatever, and then four o'clock, boom. You know, skies open up. It's beautiful. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, everything's fine again. And your buddy's still puking, but he's not in the tent anymore. So now you're you're not worried about him. So we you know we had a couple days of that. We were getting really soaked, and, and Tyler wasn't getting any better, so we, we weren't feeling really good. And so we actually decided we might have to might have to head out a day early. And the weather was really starting to take a turn, and so we thought we better try to get out of here. And I think I mentioned earlier, we didn't really have the gear. I mean, we all had backpacks, and we had tents that were made for backpacking. We had our stove and a water filter. Mm-hmm. But, like, in terms of clothing and gear, we just, you know, we just weren't really prepared. So I, I was literally in blue jeans and a cotton t-shirt and some Reebok, you know, uh, hiking boots that were essentially glorified high top tennis shoes. Um, and so, th- you know, that's another time where you look back and you think, man, this could have really turned out bad for us because we were wet a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it got, co- it got very cold. And when you're wearing cotton and you yeah. know, soaking that all in, you can get, you know, you can get hypothermia real easy. Well, on our hike out, uh, we ended up, like I said, leaving a day early just because um, Tyler was really sick. He wasn't getting any better. We wanted to get out. So we're back up on the divide kind of heading out, and a really bad storm rolls in. And so we're pretty much at the highest point of our elevation uh, with no tree cover, no no real cover at all. I mean, we're totally exposed. You know, um, you can experience a thunderstorm and like it and it's beautiful and uh you know when you're laying in bed in the morning or whatever and you hear the thunderstorm rolling when you are on top of i don't know we were probably at about twelve thousand feet elevation at that point and you're you know the clouds are you know you can probably reach up and touch them they're that close when it thunders i have never felt more insignificant or exposed in my life i mean you are you just feel completely vulnerable to anything that thunder would sh- just shakes your entire body and mm-hmm. you can i mean you can feel it in your whole body the hair stands up on the back of your neck because it's it you just feel like you're right in the thunder if that makes any sense I, it's hard to explain but you, it feels like you're in it yeah the air is charged the air is just charged and which we you know so we didn't know either like um oh by the way in june more people die from lightning strikes in colorado than anywhere else in the world so we didn't realize that was also a problem so now we've got big thunder, lightning kind of hitting all over the place. We've got fishing poles sticking up out of our uh, external frame packs, and uh, we're, we're right on the top of this exposed divide, and we really don't have anywhere to go. You can't, there's not really anywhere to go down or get into some kind of cover, so we just kind of have to tough it out. And the rain ends up turning into hail, which turns into snow. And at this point, my jeans are soaked, and they weigh about, they feel like they weigh about 500 pounds, and they're just falling off and chafing my legs. And we were just thinking, you know, we are going to probably die. This is this is it, you know. This is probably going to be it. Um, someone's going to hopefully find the truck and get some enjoyment out of that, but we're done. Like, this is it for us. We didn't, we really didn't think we were going to get off that mountaintop. You know, it was just one of those things that I think, I think what you and I talked about was, you know, there's, I think there's kind of two little mini pieces to that that are, that are kind of interesting, at least in my perspective. One is, I think there's something to be said in life for just trying something. You know, we're, we're trying something new today. We're trying two stories. So even if you don't know that you can do it, just 
try it. You don't know, you, you know, until you try it. Everyone has to do something for the first time, right? So we were kind of doing something for the first time and we made a ton of mistakes. Um, so I think, you know, I always encourage people and my, my children, especially to not be afraid to try something you've never done. I think another part of that was preparation is really important. You know, I'm almost embarrassed of how underprepared we were for that first trip. Um, both in terms of clothing, how to read the map, what what to expect for weather. I mean, there was just a lot happening that we weren't, you know, we kind of put ourselves in danger. So. Totally. Have you ever heard of the four quadrants of learning? Like quadrant no. one being you don't know what you don't know. So like hmm. you're completely oblivious to the fact that you're underprepared because you don't know what preparation looks like. Sure. Make, right? no, I, it makes total sense. Yeah. And it's, it sounds to me like you're saying, don't be so scared of quadrant one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you you would have never known that there's, there's life-threatening lightning strikes in June until you put yourself plop in the middle of right. a lightning storm in June. Yep. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's cool. I think that's a great life, life lesson. Don't be so scared to try something new. And... I would even say if we can tag something on there, this is your life lesson, but I, I'm just learning from this. It's almost like be happy with what, be happy with the failures that don't cost you life or limb because they they lead to an experience that will teach you something, right? They lead They lead to knowledge, which will turn into wisdom, knowledge that you can share. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think, you know, I, I try to, um, you know, outside of just those type of adventures or those type of things, I think in life, it's very easy to lose perspective of, of it's easy to get scared by things that if you step back and you give it some perspective, something bad could potentially happen. But in the in the scope of life, that badness really isn't as bad as you maybe think it is at the moment. Mm -hmm. And if you just give yourself that perspective, I think it allows you to take some chances or some risks for the opportunity for learning and, and long-term wisdom. I think, I mean, I think you're exactly right. This episode's brought to you in part by Bill and Paul's Sport House. Bill and Paul's has been at the center of West Michigan's outdoor scene since 1961. The summer months are finally upon us, folks. And whether you plan to take your medicine paddling our beautiful waterways, hiking our wonderful trails, or otherwise exploring new adventures from the great Mitten State and beyond, the experts at Bill & Paul's are your trusted resource to visit beforehand. They carry all the outdoor clothing brands, kayaking gear, and camping equipment to ensure you do it right this year. Find them online at billandpauls.com or walk into their store, conveniently located at 1200 East Paris in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Mention Adventure Deficit and receive 10% off of your total checkout by using promo code AD2018, either in person or online. Again, that's AD2018. Bill and Paul's Adventurous People Shop Here. So all the all the fellas that did that trip, the three of you guys, Steve uh, and what was the other guy's Tyler. name? Tyler. Yep. And Tyler. Are they still uh, are they still adventurers? Are they outdoorsmen? Yep. Yeah, they are. Um so I did a couple other trips with those guys. Um, you know, we're all dads and, um, 
you know, a little bit busier now, so they don't, we don't do a lot of trips together. Actually, for after that trip, there's about a three-week period where we weren't real friendly. Um, that's just a long time in a small tent in a small vehicle with people, even if you like them a lot. But yeah, those guys, actually, I see them quite often. Um, uh, we, we do some fishing together. I've done a little bit of camping with them. Um, I hunt with Tyler. I, I do quite a bit with, with both of them, yeah. Yeah, they're still still around. Still part of your life. That's awesome, man. Yep. Cool. All right. Story number two. Let's uh, let's grease the skids on that one again. Just replay the, the structure of that. We're talking a different state and 10 years later, right? Yep. So, you know, um, I, I think one of the things that came out of that first trip was, um, you know, uh, it, there's part of life that you have to know who to have be part of your adventure. So, um, Steve and Tyler and I are all really good friends. We had a, we had a good time. Um, but like I said, it was tight quarters in a tent, tight quarters, um, in a car. Um, and you know, that gets to be a, a little bit much for even the closest of friends after a while. So th this, this trip 10 years later was the first time I wanted to try solo backpacking. I just thought, you know, I really want to experience, I want to know that I can do something myself and I, I want to experience a little bit more solitude. Um, and, you know, so I have 10, 10 more years of kind of learning under my belt. So was was pretty sure I wasn't going to make the same mistakes on wearing blue jeans and, and a cotton shirt and, and get into some of those trouble. I could actually read a map this time. <laughs> yeah. So can, I, can I jump in a second? Yeah, for sure. Just to... Uh... It's easy to say 10 years and then to just kind of assume that the same Alan is going out there. But in those 10 years, Alan has become a, a husband. Yeah. Right? Uh, a business partner. Yep. Right? And a dad. Uh, a dad. Yeah. Okay, so you had already had kids. Yep. And at this point, the advent of, uh, this is probably right around uh, the the peak of the growth cycle for the internet. So that was probably... Yeah. That, in, yeah. In, in yeah, I would that, say mobile it was. phones are now part of this yep. plan, right? Yeah, okay. that's correct. Yep. Okay. So, so a lot's changed. A lot has changed, absolutely. Okay. You okay. know, and even even the uh, equipment that you would use on a trip has evolved pretty tremendously in 10 years. Yeah. So, you know, I was so information was a lot easier to get. My life was in a different place for sure. Um, but I felt good because I ha I felt like I was going in with good information, a much better plan, and much better equipment. So in the you know in the in that time period, I had upgraded to an internal frame pack, uh, much better clothing and gear, um, you know, just upgraded you know kind of the whole kit and and felt like okay, I'm ready to take on trying something new, going by myself. This is going to be, you know, this is going to be kind of that cool moment where I have the self-discovery or whatever. I don't know what I thought was going to happen, but I just wanted to try it. Um, so basically, you know, flew into Portland, rented a car and drove to the trailhead. And this was now, so my, uh, my time of year has now shifted to when I like to really hike. So, so June gets a little too buggy and a little too wet for me. I like to do September. When I do a lot of hiking, the bugs are less, the, the people are less, um, so this was relatively early in September, maybe the second week. Um, beautiful weather out there, blue skies, you know, maybe 60 degrees, gorgeous outside. It's going to be a great hike, and no, the bugs aren't bad. Um, so, you know, hit the trailhead, got the pack on, got the plan where I, where I want to head. You know, the, the route is all mapped, and gorgeous views in every direction as I'm hiking. And 
as I start to gain elevation, the weather starts doing what it does in the mountains and it starts changing. And it um, starts to rain, you know, a little bit, which is no big deal. I've got, I've, now I've got the gear for it. I'm, I'm okay. And uh, as I continue to, you know, gain elevation to get closer to where I'm trying to uh, set up for the first night, it starts turning into snow and then heavier snow. And I'm, I've kind of at this point where I, I felt like the, my only option was to continue to go forward um to, to to get to my first destination that was just kind of what was in my head is i just, i don't i'm not going back i just got to get to my first destination set up and i'll be fine um continue continue to go and you know the further i go the worse the weather gets i guess is basically what was happening and it was just snowing harder and harder and harder and now it's now night is coming so it's getting dark um and you know, i was hiking in on a trail so it was it really wasn't uh you know some crazy cross-country adventure or something. It was, you know, pretty straightforward. Um, but it had snowed now to the point where you can't see the trail. You don't know where the trail is. So everything looks kind of the same. It's just all white. It's getting dark. Um, and the snow is coming down really hard. And I know that I've got to be relatively close to where I'm trying to get, but I don't know where I... I really don't know exactly where I am at this point. And then... Um, pull out the compass, you know, I'm working, I'm working the compass in the map and the compass fails. So, you know, a little lesson there of have some kind of backup, which I didn't, or I didn't have a GPS. I didn't have a backup. I had the compass and that was all I had and it wasn't working. So I really didn't know exactly where I was at that point. And I wanted, you know, I still had that urge to kind of get to that first place that I had planned on setting up camp for the night, which was near a, a little lake. And, uh, but, but starting to have that little panic creep in, you know, you're, you're by yourself, you don't really know what direction is what, you really don't know where exactly you are in relation to where you're trying to get anymore, snowing really hard, you're starting to, I was starting to get cold, and I'm, you know, starting to shake, and your hands are numb, and you're starting to kind of have that shaking that starts happening, which, you know, the beginning of hypothermia, potentially, so I was, I was getting a little freaked out, so I kind of just stopped, and calm myself down a little bit and realize, you know what, I can just, I don't have to get to that destination. I'm just going to set up camp where I can in a place that looks relatively safe and, and provide some cover and shelter and, uh, you know, you know, basically call it a night. So, um, one of the things I didn't totally, um, anticipate was how much work, uh, getting a, getting camp ready is by yourself. So I, I'm pretty cold pretty shook up it's in the dark I'm setting up my tent in the tent it's not a hard tent but when you're cold and a little bit frustrated maybe not thinking clearly it's kind of hard to set up with one person or at least as quickly as I'd like to so I'm trying to get the tent set up so I finally get that all set up and I feel pretty good about that well now I'm out of water and I remember having crossed water about a mile back so I backtrack pump all the water that I need to to hydrate and uh, make my dinner and now my hands are really cold. I don't have any gloves. I don't have any uh, anything to keep my hands warm or dry. And so that, that cold water mixed with the cold temperature, my hands are really cold. But I go back, I make dinner, um, try to get everything kind of cleaned up. You know, I just made a quick, you know, dinner in a pouch kind of thing, got mm -hmm. that all cleaned up, and then hung up the food um, because there, there were a lot of bear in the area. And we just hung, I was hanging the food so I could keep it out of, keep it out of the trouble but 
all that seems really simple. You know, you're just setting up a tent, you're making dinner, you're, you're, you're filtering water and you're hanging your food when you're by yourself and you're cold and you're kind of shook up and whatever that it's, it was a lot of work. I mean, it was hours of work to just to accomplish those few basic things. And then it was, you know, basically I, I just turned in for the night and wore, I had just about every piece of clothing on that I had with me inside my sleeping bag and spent a really, really cold, miserable night, uh, camping out. Mm -hmm. Um, and just thought, you know, okay, I just need to kind of power through it and see what, you know, see what comes of the next day and, and, and get a, get a game plan together. At that point, I didn't have a plan. I didn't know where I was. I just needed, knew I needed to kind of get through the night and, and then figure it out as, as it came. And so, uh, you know, I, I guess fortuitously it, it I, I, um, woke up the next morning and there was sun coming through the, you know, the canopy of my tent. And so that, right away is encouraging you wake up and there's some light and you can you can realize man it's okay this might be okay and I unzipped uh, the door of my tent and looked out and Mount Jefferson was basically it looked like it was right next to me and it the sun was just illuminating it and it was uh you know basically just this glowing monolith right outside the door of my tent and I had no idea it was there because the night before, it was completely obscured by the weather. I did not know where I was. And when I woke up in the morning, there was nothing more glorious than seeing sun shining on this this mountain that you've wanted to see. Um, and a beautiful, you know, snow on the landscape. And, you know, you kind of have that feeling like, okay, everything's going to be all right. Um, got out of the tent and uh, did a little exploration around the area and realized I actually was really close, like probably within a, a you know hard pitching wedge of of the lake that I was trying to uh, end up end up next to if I would have followed my route so I ended up being really close to where I wanted to be I just didn't know I was there because the weather was so bad so finding that like coming to that realization like the sun is out the weather's turned Mount Jefferson's right there the lake I was looking for is right there I mean that that sense of relief and just kind of euphoria like okay I did it. I made it I was scared to death um, but now I made it and, um, what a, what a gorgeous day. So that was, that was kind of that, um, that was probably the biggest moment of that, that whole trip. I mean, the rest of it was really just kind of enjoying the area and there was really no more drama that accompanied it. But, um, that's the last time I went camping by myself. I can tell you that, um, both from just what I felt personally comfortable with and what my wife would allow me to do. She wasn't, she wasn't super cool that, um, you know, that could have turned out bad for me and for her and my family. Yeah. So, and that's, I mean, that's a real piece to touch on. I think, you know, kind of even, even going back to that first story that you told, yeah, it's great to expose yourself to some risk, but ultimately we do need to use discernment in, in those moments because there are, there are life, uh, life-threatening elements to Mother Nature that will absolutely take your life in a night or yep. in a moment. Yep. And it sounds, I mean, when you're cold and you're rushed and you're starting to feel panicked, yep. you don't have that partner that you can draw maybe some perspective from, you run the risk of freaking yourself out. Totally. And if you lose your composure out there you can start making dumb decisions that you normally wouldn't do if you were otherwise warm or well-fed or you had all the dexterity in your digits. But 
I mean, all of those, all of those ingredients can come together to make a pretty ugly pot of stew. And it sounds like you had a pretty ugly pot of stew going on night one. Yeah, no, I mean that, that the way you described it is exactly how I felt. And I, I was fortunate enough, I guess maybe or mature enough at that point in my life where I could, I could realize that all those ingredients were coming together and I needed to just kind of stop and calm myself down and get some perspective. Um, because I did, I had all those pieces going on Mm -hmm. and, um, I had already read that story. Like I know how that I know how that story ends for a lot of people. So I really knew I needed to kind of. I was still in my mind. I still wanted to push for that destination. Like I want to get to that destination. I want to get to that destination. And I realized, you know what? Like just time out. No, there's nobody. There's no one else out here measuring if you made it to your destination or not. What really matters is if you make it or not. You know, and 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 it sounds overly dramatic, maybe, but that's how I felt at the moment. Like I just need to hunker down. And, and figure this out and just calm myself down and get warm, get some food, get my energy back and, uh, and then go from there. So that, yeah, no, you're exactly right. That's that piece where you said you woke up with the sun coming through, like that gives me hope. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, that, that, that moment was, it couldn't have been any, you know, after the most kind of, uh, sleepless, cold, miserable, just horrible night you know literally really didn't get any sleep it was just trying to trying to stay warm and a little bit of comfortable and then to just it's just like a 180 you know you go from the most miserable you've ever been to almost like the most glorious feeling you've ever had when you just open that that door and you see you know man that is the snow went from being terrifying to beautiful you know Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. in that moment that's such a cool piece um, so what, how'd you get off of the mountain? Did you end up spending more than that night? Um, you, no, actually, actually I didn't. I, um, the, the plan was to spend more than at night, but I just, I kind of, uh, hung out there for the day and I, I thought I'm good. I've, <laughs> I've, I've done the, I've done the solo hike thing. Um, I made it. Um, I, I wanted to get back. You so were done. Yeah. I was pretty shook up. I mean, I felt you know, I had that great euphoric moment, but I didn't know what else might be coming weather-wise. I didn't really didn't want to go through that again. I realized some of my equipment wasn't working, like my compass, which, you know, was pretty crucial to knowing where I was going. So uh, I, I spent, you know, that, that, that next morning, I spent quite a bit of time around the area just exploring, and then I headed back down, and, um, you know, it was just kind of crazy. So it was still, I mean, there's still a ton of, the sun was out, but there was a ton of snow up where I was. And as I, as I worked my way down, the snow became less and less and less. And as I got closer to, you know, kind of the, the beginning of the trail, there was a a group of young ladies hiking in and they're wearing shorts and t-shirts. And I'm thinking, you have no, you have no idea what you're in for. And I'm trying to warn them. And they're, they're kind of, oh, you know, we're fine. We're fine. And that's how I felt when I was at their point in the journey. I just, you know, I don't know how that turned out for them, but I I hope it turned out okay. But it, you know, it just, it, it was crazy how the climate changed so dramatically as you, uh, as you went down in elevation. Mm. Um, but no, I hiked out. I actually went and rented a condo out by the ocean for the next three days and, and just kind of chilled out and watched people surf and watch the whales and, and it had a different Oregon experience. But, um, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to say I was brave and kind of kept going, but I felt like, okay, I checked that off my bucket list and I'm going to move on to something else. Yeah. 
That's a great, uh, yeah, there's, there's a great life lesson in there. Um, you want to, do you care to kind of break it down? Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think, you know, some of the things that I had mentioned to you is I, I think two things are kind of important there. One is, again, I want to just stress preparation. And, and I think, you know, anybody that, I mean, I guess in any aspect of life, preparation is really important in my opinion. So whether you're preparing for um, some type of sports or athletics, you know, that preparation is important. Or you're preparing for business, um, just trying to have all the information, all the resources, and really going in prepared is, is so hugely important. And um, But I think I think the flip side of that is this idea that you have to be able to um, bring yourself down when things don't go according to plans because very often they don't. Uh, pretty much never. Um, I saw <laughs> I saw a um, I saw a diagram once and it, it said um, how how people picture the path to success and it's kind of this you know straight line that goes up and to the right. And then it, and then um, below it it says what you know what does success really look like and it's a line that starts you know in the bottom left and goes all over the squiggles and crosses itself and goes crazy and all sideways and then ends up in the top right, and I think that's right you know you can you can you can draw your plan and do your preparation and it looks like a nice straight line from bottom left to top right, and then what really happens is never that, but at least you go in you go in in a state where you at least are more prepared to deal with it. And then I think it's just a mentality um, that you have to kind of train yourself to be able to um, feel comfortable reacting and adjusting to the moment. I mean, you know, I guess the best metaphor I can think of is, you know, uh, like a really successful quarterback. And you go in and you're, you're game planning for the other team in a certain way, and then they come out and they show you a different look, and you've got to be able to adjust to that on the fly. I mean, like, you know love him or hate him, I think of Tom Brady, you know, he can just, he can, he's got a game plan, but when he comes out and sees that the defense wants to do something different to him, he adjusts immediately and then makes him pay for it. And I think being able to do, just being able to adjust like that and, and bring yourself, you know, kind of calm yourself down, bring yourself to a, a little bit different perspective and then adjust, I think is really, is really important. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I'm learning from this one as well, and I think the way that I that I hear it is almost, um, it's kind of a generational thing. But I think that there's a generation coming that has, um, and I don't want to stretch too far here, but I think it's directly applicable in in that when you go back to the graph that you were just describing, I think the generation that's coming has been exposed to a culture in an environment that has become incredibly calculated. We have more information than we've ever had. We have more access than we've ever had. And if we truly don't think about it, we can expose ourselves to nothing less than um, a secure environment, right? Oh, absolutely. And that would be akin to that straight line growth, right? But the fact of the matter is, in order to pioneer something, in order to be doing something truly new, unique, or, or trailblazing, you may not exist on that static line. It will not unravel that way. No, it never will. It never will. Uh -uh. But if you have no experience 
in handling something that hasn't been pre-calculated, yep. you're probably not going to handle that situation nearly as well as if you had knowingly exposed yourself to an environment that might require you to react. Totally. And in my opinion, that's exactly what you did when you went to Hood. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's exactly it. And I think, you know, uh, as we have shared our mutual stories with each other, I think that's one of the things that we both really get excited about, right, is exposing ourselves to things that we're not familiar with or that make us maybe a little bit uncomfortable or challenge it, mm-hmm. you know, challenge our thinking or challenge ourselves to, to do something. And it's scary. I mean, there's no there's no way around the fact that a lot of times it's scary. Um, but then once you've done it, it, it you, you kind of remove that mystery and you feel more prepared to do whatever that next thing is and, and to get to that top right. You'll get to the top right. But you have to be willing to to know that sometimes you're gonna go in circles, you're gonna go backwards, you're gonna go you're gonna go down before you go up. I mean, all those things are gonna happen. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Adventure Deficit Podcast. After today's story, head on over to www.adventuredeficit.com where you can find today's episode on the main slider, including show notes, photos, and links to other resources. Scroll down for more content, including short stories and gear reviews. Last but not least, feel free to leave us some feedback and let us know how we can continue to serve our listening community. That's all I have. Enjoy the rest of the show. Well, thanks, Alan, for sharing both of those stories, man. I think uh, I think both offered something that we can glean, and uh, we just really appreciate you taking the time to share those with us. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I love the opportunity. I appreciate you having me out here and uh, really enjoyed our time together. Yeah, man, me too. You have time for a couple of, of quick rapid-fire style questions before we get you out of here? I'll try. Don't hang me up too bad, though. <laughs> I won't. Who, uh, who were your heroes growing up? Um, I mean, you probably picked up on it a little bit. Um, when I was talking about my childhood, but I would say, I mean, it was really for me, it was one, it was my dad. Um, my dad is, uh, the most hardworking, generous, humble guy you'll ever meet. He's just, he's just that guy. Like he will do anything for anybody. He's got no pretense about him. He's not afraid to try things. And he's just, I don't know. He's just probably the best person that I know. Oh, that's really cool. Um, and that's got, I hope he gets a chance to hear you say that. That's cool. Um, are you, uh, are you reading any good books? Yeah. Um, man, books are, books are for me, you know, probably my second favorite, uh, hobby. So right, right now I'm in just a beast of a book about Grant, uh, which is a really interesting read. Um, General Grant, who later became President Grant. Um, so I, I've, I, I, I switched kind of between, um, I love history. I love uh, biographies. I love stories about people. Um, and so this one, this one's heavy. It's a lot of pages. So I'm about halfway through it. But um, I, yeah, that's that's mostly the genres I hit. I like a lot that hit on like the Civil War or World War II, um, <laughs> or different or different adventures. Um, you know that take place. That's kind of my that's kind of my sweet spot. But the one I'm in the middle of the one on Grant right now. I've got one about Boone that's right on the that's in uh, you know on deck after that. And do you remember the name of that book, the the Grant book? I think it's literally just called Grant. 
Um, I, I don't remember. I know the, I know the one that's on deck is is called Boone and Auto or a biography. So that that's Boone. I think probably the one of the most amazing books that I've ever read um, is the Shackleton story. I don't know if you've read it. Um, the, the endurance. Um, I finished that book at like two o'clock in the morning, and I was freaking out because I just wanted to run around and talk to people about how amazing this story was. And there, everyone else was asleep, and I just I, I just couldn't handle my excitement. It was the most probably epic book I've ever read. But those type of books are what really get me fired up. True stories. You want to talk about a leader who took uh, took a game plan that had been very well established, incredibly calculated, and completely flipped top top topsy-turvy like end over everything went wrong everything now what that was it and it continued to go wrong and he continued to have to adapt i mean it just that is one of the most amazing true stories i've ever read there, when i finished it i thought there's no way someone could make up a story more crazy than this as fiction and mm-hmm. have it be believable it was it was incredible i have i get goosebumps right now just just remembering it it's yeah. an incredible book yeah i think even for a guy who's who's uh, well established, kind of in the business uh, business world, business culture, um, I would say that the Shackleton story has just as much, if not more, uh, you know, direct leadership application to uh, to business leaders in 21st century America uh, than any of the you know the Maxwells or um, any of the, the big business writers that I mean. Totally. That agree. we all know, right? Yeah, totally. It's an awesome story. Um, okay, now let's switch gears to uh, to some outdoor stuff. Yep. Finish this sentence. <laughs> when I'm headed out for the river, I never leave without... Wow. Well, I, I, anybody that's fished with me knows that I cannot help but at least at some point during my my time on the river whatever day it is whatever time of year it is i have to throw streamers at least for part of the time so i guess i would say i would never leave without some streamers in my fly box because it might be the most epic dry fly hatch and i and i'll fish them but i still want to throw streamers for a little bit i just can't help it it's just like an addiction so you're the one chucking big (laughs) big uglies at the bank and stripping yeah yeah while my son's just pulling one after another on the dry fly and i'm like no 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 i know this is gonna work this is gonna work the strike is just so aggressive and so fun yeah it's cool what is your favorite piece of um handed down equipment did you uh, did you experience any of that, any of that? Wow, yeah. So um, I, I think probably, and uh, I, I don't have it anymore, but um, one of the most, I guess one of my most prized possessions for a long time in my life was actually my first rifle, and uh, that I shot my that I shot my first deer with. So, um, well, not my first deer, but my first buck. So my uncle. Um, had had some property that was just loaded with deer and and my dad and I went to go hunt opening day of gun season with him one year and I didn't have a rifle at that point in my life I was I had a you know I had a shotgun um, and that wasn't going to get it done where we were hunting so he let me borrow his uh, 308 and uh, it was a semi-automatic uh, Remington Woodmaster and it was a be- beautiful gun beautiful engraving on it uh, you know a scope on it 
And uh, I ended up shooting my first buck opening morning with that gun on his property. And uh, my dad and my uncle and I just, you know, it was like we just had this kind of bonding moment, had a, a celebration, and it was really cool. And I ended up um, a couple years later when I actually had a little bit of money saved up, I actually went back to my uncle and said, hey, would I be able to purchase that gun from you? And he had a lot of guns. And so he gave me a really good deal on it. Uh, I was able to purchase it. Um, it really wasn't a great gun, um, jammed up all the time. It was hard to pattern. It didn't, it didn't hold a pattern very well. Um, but it just had a lot of sentimental value to me. And then actually my, my, uh, oldest son shot his first buck with that same gun. So that was, that was pretty awesome. The gun is no longer with us. Uh, eventually the, the lack of, uh, patterning really kind of drove me crazy and I ended up getting rid of it. And now I kind of kick myself. I wish I had it back, not to shoot, just to have, mm. um, but yeah, that that's probably one of the biggest pieces of hand, uh, you know, gear that was part of the family that, you know, that that kind of made its way through me and then through my son. Well, was that a Woodsmaster seven forty? Yeah, it's like seven forty two Woodmaster semi auto, yeah. and it just honestly it was a pile of trash. It it looked beautiful, but it shot terrible. Yeah, it doesn't matter at that point. You, I think you nailed it. The sentimental piece of you know taking your first buck with it, yeah. and all the memories that it evokes. So. Absolutely. Oh, that's cool. Um, do you have any big, big, uh, hunting or fishing excursion lined up for 2018? Um, yeah. So, um, let's see in just a couple weeks here, I'll be leaving with my oldest son and we're going to go up to Abatanga, uh, provincial park in Canada. And we are going to be chasing pike on the fly for, uh, about four days. And, uh, we fish, I fished this area before with, with, uh, my, my younger son and my dad, and uh, those two can't make it this year, but I'm taking my older son out, and we are going to go get after it. And uh, we go way out in the middle of the park. Uh, we set up camp on this island right in the middle of the lake, and uh, we camp out for four days, and we just get after the pike. It's going to be uh, a blast, and I am super stoked. I can't wait. I, I thought the trip was going to fall through this year, so the fact that we are able to pull it together makes me really excited. That's so cool, man. And hopefully you can pass on some of that bonding experience that you had with uh, with your dad and grandfather down to your son. Yeah, absolutely. That's, cool. that's, that's um, both of my boys are really into the outdoors. They're both really, really uh, proficient uh, at hunting and fishing, and they love doing it. So we spend a lot of time there. And that's, you know, most of my memories of my kids are there. Uh, final question. You, uh, you had an opportunity to come on board with several different uh, outdoor brands to serve as an ambassador. Tell us a little bit about what that entails, and uh, then we can, we can kind of call, call it a wrap. Sure. Um, yeah, so I didn't really know what an ambassador was, but I ended up... Um, some, uh, a friend of mine that I actually went to high school with reached out to me at one point and said, Hey, my brother's got this company. They make these really cool... Uh, storage boxes um, that you use for hunting and they're they're basically bomb proof and you got to you just got to talk to them and so uh, it turns out that uh, the company's called Bronk Box and they make you know for lack of a better term it's think of a Yeti cooler on steroids but f to store your gear in and these things are bomb proof ev everything proof and uh they're a really great way to kind of carry your gear. Um, they've got a top section and a bottom section. So bottom section is great for all your clothing and packs and all that stuff. And then the top section is good for your bow or your firearms or even your fly rods. Um, so I got in touch with those guys and they said, hey, let's, we'd like to send you a box. Just have you go beat it up and use it and see what you think of it. And 
post a few pictures and tell me what you think. So that was kind of my first foray into being an ambassador. Yeah. Um, and then I, um, I'd like to just when I when I find a product that I really like, I just I like telling people about it. So one of the one of the products I really enjoy too is um, Princeton Tech as a brand. They make uh, headlamps that I just love. And I wrote a little some little blurb about one of them on my Facebook page because um, I I just was having all kinds of trouble with headlamps. I I went through them like one after another like this one would get a little bit wet and then it would fry and then I ran this one over my truck and then my kid lost another one and then this one wasn't bright enough I just had all kinds of problems and I ended up getting this Princeton Tech headlamp that just it was waterproof and it was bright and it was cheap and it was just like man this is awesome so I just wrote a little something on my Facebook page and they reached out to me and said hey thanks for you know thanks for sharing that would you like to uh, be an ambassador for us and I said oh I don't know what I think so what does that mean and they just said oh we just want to send you stuff to use and you tell us what you think of it and give us some feedback and we can make you know design adjustments and you tell your friends about it so I said sure so I actually became the first ambassador for Princeton Tech um, headlamps and they're just an incredible company um, out of Princeton New Jersey make really cool outdoor products that are great for hiking fishing backpacking i use them i mean i use their products all the time um and then i do um an ambassador uh the ambassador program with mountain khakis which is a uh, really great uh, outdoor lifestyle brand uh, make clothing that you and i know both enjoy um uh, so do a little bit of work with them and then i do some work with native eyewear um they they make uh, really Really good, um, just outdoor uh, eyeglasses, but they also have really nice uh, polarized glasses that are that are great for fly fishing or any really any kind of angling. So, those are the four that I mainly work with, and then there's a bunch of other ones that I just uh, help out here and there and participate with. Very cool, and Alan's quite uh, Alan's quite a writer himself. He might not admit that, but I'll go ahead and say it. I've read some of his stuff, and it's uh, he's got a knack for bringing somebody into the story. Um, and also including kind of some of that, uh, yeah, ambassadorship, but not in a, sh not in a sticky or a tacky way, more or less in a, um, here's what I've tried that's failed. Here's what I've tried that works. And, uh, you know, uh, he'll, he'll bring some of that kind of stuff to light as well. So Alan, thanks so much again. We really appreciate you carving out some time to spend with uh, the adventure deficit community and, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll have a chance to get out there and take our medicine together. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait. Thanks, man. Thank you.